As we move forward in our uh, study this morning on this book, on this series on Advent, we're actually going to be looking at Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two. So if you could turn there, uh, we're going to look at a tale of three kings, if you will, or actually what I want us to see this morning is that it's not really so much a story about the three kings. It's about three different kinds of kings. You all know the, the song, we three kings of Orient are. Bearing gifts we traverse so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. And we're actually going to read the verses this morning uh, that tell that story. But as I said, it's not so much about three kings. It's about three kinds of kings who were on a journey. All three of these kinds of kings were on a journey. We're going to specifically look at the journey of the Magi. But I would say we're all on a journey as well. And 2020 has been an interesting journey, um, but, you know, life was interesting even before 2020 got here, wasn't it? We're all on a journey, and my question to you is, where will your journey end? This is what we're going to see with the wise men this morning, with the Magi. Their journey ends in worship, um, and that's my goal for all of us, is that our journey would end in worship, worshiping Christ, the newborn King. You know, yesterday I, I went on a bit of a journey myself. I actually thought, okay, my family's out of town this weekend. Sarah went up to see her parents uh, and uh, with uh, with all the kids. And so I've got this nice, quiet house. I thought I'd have a nice, relaxing day at home. I just had to run out and get one or two Christmas presents. That's all I had on my list, okay? So I went out early afternoon, and I did not get home until 7.30, okay? So I was on this short journey, I thought, it ended not in worship. Um, it ended in a little bit of frustration. You know, you go to one store and they said, oh, yeah, we had it, but it's not here. You can go to the store in Slidell. Okay, I'll, I'll drive over there. And uh, it's not there either. So now what do you do? So have you, has anybody done that, by the way? Anybody done that? So uh, uh, my journey ended in frustration. This morning, we're going to look at a journey uh, of these wise men that ends in worship. And that's what I would hope for each of us, that the journey we're on in life, not just today or this year, uh, but really our entire life would end worshiping Christ the King. So with that being said, uh, I want us to look at the text from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to actually read through the whole story. Matthew 2 verses 1 through, we're going to end in verse 21. So follow along in your Bibles as I read. And uh we want to just look at how these three kinds of kings uh, reveal to us what God has for us this morning. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 21 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Verse 7, so then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Well, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Verse 13, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. This is the word of God. Now, I know as I read that story, this is probably not the first time you've heard those words or heard this account of what happened in Jesus' birth. Um, but you know, when you read the story, we want to see it with fresh eyes. And again, like we did last week to try to enter into the story and see it through the eyes of the characters in there. But also one of the things I learned early on in Bible study was, uh, somebody, I think in my Sunday school growing up said a few things that you should look for in any passage are, is there a command you should obey? Is there an example you should follow? Or is there an example you should avoid? And so as we look at these three different kinds of kings, I think we kind of see all three of those things. And uh, this first king, Herod the king, uh, what we see with him is clearly an example to avoid, right? Uh, he's one of the bad guys of the Bible. In fact, you may not have much knowledge of the Bible, but I would guess that you've probably actually heard of King Herod. He's one of those bad guys that tried to actually kill Jesus. In fact, uh, if you don't know who he is, there's a lot of reading you can do uh, in, in other sources. You can look online, just Google King Herod and just read about him today. And it's amazing what he was known for. He was a really gifted king. Uh, he created all these architectural wonders, just amazing. But that was overshadowed completely by his dark side, if you will. Uh, he was an evil, evil man, incredibly suspicious. Uh, he killed family members because he thought they wanted to be king instead of him. Um, in fact, so Caesar Augustus, if you read Luke 2, it says in those days, Caesar Augustus, the, the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus actually made a statement about King Herod. He said, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Because Herod was known for killing his own family members. So it was well known throughout the Roman world. So the Romans set him up. He was a bad guy. He had absolute power within this whole region. And what we see with King Herod in this story, I think, is that he was motivated by fear. That's what we want to ask about each of these three kinds of kings. What is it that motivated them to do what they did? I think he was motivated by fear. He was ruthless. In this story, and we know just from his whole life, he was ruthless. 
So how do we know that? Look at verses 2 and 3. Let's go back and look at some of these, this text here. It says, uh, When the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Verse 3, Herod, when he heard this, was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So his fear led him to be troubled. And, and that word troubled is, is not really a very strong translation. It's really that he was incredibly upset. It wasn't just that he said, huh, there's another king. I'm mildly concerned about that. It'd be more like, what? Okay, he was an angry man, very troubled by the news that he heard. And what we see here in this story is a couple things about his fear. We can see the fear beneath the surface because we see it it leads him to lie. He lies to these wise men. Verse 7, he summoned the wise men secretly, ascertaining from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to, Jer- to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Now, whether these wise men believed him or not, we don't know. But clearly, as you read the story, his fear led him to lie to them so that he could go ahead and, and kill this child. His fear also, we see in verse 16, uh, led him to great anger and rage. Verse 16, when Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. So his fear led him to anger. He was motivated by fear. It led him to become angry. And that anger, uh, his fear through his anger, led him to kill. Verse 16. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. You know, this is one of those parts of the Christmas story that we kind of wish we could just leave those verses out, right? This is an amazing story about Jesus coming to earth. Um, God provided a savior. The wise men bring him gifts and worship him. But part of the story is the broken human condition. This fearful, cruel, horrible human king who kills innocent babies. You know, that's just repulsive to us. We think, how could God have allowed that? I think when you read the story, you can't help but say that. But you look at this, Herod's fear led him to do some horrible things. And his fear, here's the other thing. Herod's a human just like everyone else in this story. Jesus Christ came to save humans. But Herod's fear blinded him from recognizing this true king when he arrived. His fear blinded him and led him to do all these other things. It's interesting, it actually says that the religious leaders, the ones who absolutely should have recognized Jesus' coming were also greatly troubled, and they missed it. You know, they knew the Bible. Clearly, when Herod said, where's this king going to be born? They, they said, oh, let us show you the chapter and verse. And they looked right there in Micah 5.2 and read that prophecy from Micah. They said, we know exactly where he's going to be born, in Bethlehem. So they knew about the Bible. They knew about God. And yet, they also missed the coming of this true king. So fear prevented him from recognizing this true king. That brings us to another question about Herod. When we think about him and him being motivated by fear, we want to ask this question. What causes fear? What causes fear? What caused King Herod's fear? Because, you know, in this story, um, I think when we look at what caused Herod's fear, I think what we would probably have to say is pride is at the root of his fear. And how would you, why would I say that? Pride is, is this basic thing that is being me-centered. Herod says, I'm the most important person in the universe. He probably thought, someday I'd love it if I could become emperor. 
Not that that would ever happen, but I'm sure those are the kind of thoughts that would go through a guy's mind like this. And when we look at that, we know that he was so centered on himself that he was willing to do anything to protect his king, kingship, to protect his throne, to protect his crown. He was so self-centered that he didn't even think twice about killing all these innocent babies that were two years and under. Me-centered, pride and fear that anything would get in his way. Another way of saying this is is self-love, right? He was in love with himself, adoring himself. You know, a lot of times if we think about, well, what's the opposite of pride? You could say humility, but I actually think a better answer for the opposite of pride is love. Pride is self-love. The opposite of that would be loving others generously. And we're actually going to see that with the third king that we talk about this morning. So that's for Herod, I think, what caused his his fear was this pride. You know, uh, Psalm 138 verse 6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. If you look at this this Christmas story, it's full of examples of that, right? That God rejects the proud, the ones who don't need him, the ones who say, I don't want anything to do with you. And he embraces those who humbly come to him. Mary, Joseph, his own son, a humble baby. So that's what causes Herod's fear in this story. But I would ask you this this morning. What causes you to fear? What are the things that cause you as human beings to fear? Because we see what happens to Herod. Motivated by fear, he does all kinds of terrible things. And I would say the danger is the same for us. If you're motivated by fear, you're opening the door to all kinds of things that will cause problems for you and for those around you. You know, I think for us, a lot of times we could say it's external circumstances that cause fear. Things that you see around you or things that are happening to you are the things that make you fearful. Uncertainty, right? Uh, There's been a lot of uncertainty this year. A lot of uncertainty with all the different circumstances in the economy and in the world, in politics. Maybe it's sickness that causes fear for you. You get a diagnosis or a loved one gets a diagnosis and that just brings the fear up in you. Maybe it's broken relationships, a divorce or a a friendship that's broken. And that brings up fear. How am I going to survive this? Or maybe it's something internal, like Herod, and pride leads you to fear. What is it that's going to keep me from getting what I want, and you're afraid of those things? Well, I would encourage you, don't let fear blind your heart. Don't let fear control you. Don't let fear blind you to the coming of the king. Several times in this Christmas story, multiple times, both here in Matthew and in Luke, we get this message. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And that is that the true king is coming. That's the antidote to this fear, is that the true king is coming. Fear not, worship the king. So when we look at this first type of king, this King Herod, the bad guy in the story. The thing we see here is that his journey ends in death and violence and destruction. Because he's so focused on himself and on the fear of losing power. His journey ends in death and pain for those around him. But that brings us to the second kind of king. Because their journey ends in a completely different way. 
See, what we have here with the second kind of king is the magi. And what we see with them is they are motivated by worship. They are motivated by worship. They're motivated to worship. And what do we know about them? This is, uh, you know, uh, in our house, we have a manger scene that we set up every year. And uh, there are, you know, a bunch of shepherds and sheep. There's Mary and Joseph and the baby. Um, and there's some camels. And then there's these three wise men. What do we know about these three wise men? Well, you know, the answer is very little. <laughs> Scripture actually doesn't tell us much about them. It doesn't even actually tell us how many of them there are. We know they bring three gifts, and so traditionally we believe there were three of them. Um, but we don't know that much else about them. It says they're from the east. Um, they came from the east to Jerusalem. Why did they come to Jerusalem? Well, they were probably, we think, coming to the capital of the nation of Israel. So they thought, let's go to where the kings live, and they'll be able to show us the king. And uh, uh, all we know about them is that they're called magi. Now, a lot of these ancient uh, eastern co- countries had what they would call wise men, sages, people who would study wisdom. Uh, and that's probably the kind of guys we have here. Um, clearly, they were paying attention to the stars, astrology and astronomy. Um, and so this new star rose in the east and they said, we're going to follow it. They left everything behind to follow this star, to find this king of the Jews. How did they know there was a new king of the Jews? There's really nothing in the story that tells us how they knew that. All we can say is that somehow God directed them and they followed his leading. Their desire to worship led them to search. We see that in the first two verses. They saw that star um, and they came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. So it led them to search. Their desire to worship led them to search for this newborn king. Um, you know, maybe you've been watching the news. I don't know if any of you saw this. They said, actually, this year, the planets were aligning, and this may be the same star that the wise men saw that led them to Jesus here, right here at Christmas time. Um, well, guess what? It's actually not the same star. <laughs> the star that we're talking about, we don't really even know that much about it, other than that it moved and directed them directly to the place where the child was. So it led them to search, uh, And then once they talked to Herod, look at verse 9. It says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So their desire to worship led them to follow. It led them to follow this leading from God, and that's what they did. And then look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is not just a little... All right, let's applaud, right? Uh, this was, this was, uh, it says rejoiced exceedingly. And as if that's not enough, it says with great joy. I would love to have seen this. What, what these dignified, uh, wise men looked like when they were rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Can only imagine. But their desire to worship led them to rejoice when they found the one they were coming to worship. It led them to rejoice. And then it led them also to, to worship, to give gifts that were fit for a king. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What's the big deal about these gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are incredibly costly things. Uh, gold is obvious, right? We know that gold is what kings everywhere in every age have always craved. And, and uh, um, you read the Old Testament, you read human history, a lot of people died because they were searching for gold. Um, 
And they bring the best of what they have as an offering to this newborn king. Their desire to worship leads them to worship, leads them to give gifts that are fit for the king. The best of what they have. Frankincense and myrrh, same thing. Uh, Expensive, expensive, costly spices uh, that they use to, to honor the king. Verse five, or the next thing though that, that we see in verse 12 is that their desire to worship also leads them to obey. It says this, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they obeyed the leading they got from God. You know, it's interesting with this group of kings, their journey ends with them worshiping the king. That's where it ends. Herod's ends with violence in this story. Their journey ends with worshiping the king. And so what I want us to look at this morning, uh, the question I would ask about these guys, same as what we asked about Herod, is what causes worship? What is it that causes a person to worship like these three kings, like these wise men? Because, you know, I think what we see with them clearly is that their faith is what causes them to worship. True faith leads to worship. I want to read a a quote from J.C. Ryle, uh, and he's talking about these wise men. And he's talking about how the fact that they are one of the best examples of faith we actually have in the New Testament. Because here's what he says. They believed in him when they saw him, a little infant on Mary's knee, and they worshipped him as a king. This was the crowning point of their faith. They saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no teaching to persuade them. They beheld no signs of divinity and greatness to overawe them. They saw nothing but a newborn infant, helpless and weak and needing a mother's care like any one of ourselves. And yet, when they saw that infant, they believed that they saw the divine Savior of the world, and they fell down and worshipped him. It was their faith that led them to worship. When we think about this, you know, there's a lot of examples, both in Scripture, and you can see this looking around. It's not just faith, it's true faith that leads us to worship. There's a lot of objects of false faith that are out there, false worship. If you think about driven by faith in other things, that's what false worship is. If you're adoring something other than the true God, that's what we would call false worship. Sometimes we are tempted to adore and worship things, aren't we? Maybe it's your money or your retirement or your home. Maybe it's your sports or entertainment. You give all of your extra resources, all of your extra time. This is how you know you're adoring something. It's only if you have that thing that you believe you can be happy. So whatever it is that you're pursuing and you think you have to have that to be happy, that's there's a good chance that you're worshiping that. Brothers and sisters, I would call that false worship. But what we see with the wise men is true worship. It's driven by faith in God. Knowing that your relationship with God, the relationship you can have with Jesus Christ, is the most important thing. And that drives every decision, every moment of your life. True worship is driven by faith in God. In John 4, Jesus, as an adult, when he's grown up, he meets with this woman at the well. And he says to her, a time is coming uh, when you will worship me in spirit and in truth. Let me look at these verses. John four twenty three and 24. It says this, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying, trust me and worship me as the true king. Faith in the king. That's what these wise men had. Faith in the true king. And it's interesting to see here that their worship is not what makes them acceptable to God. I think we have to realize that from Scripture. They come and worship him because they have faith that he's the king. It's not that after they give gifts, then Joseph and Mary say, okay, good, now you're acceptable to God. There's no statement like that in there. They come and worship him because they have faith and they recognize that he's the king. You worship the king not to make yourself acceptable. You worship the king because he's already declared that you are acceptable through the blood of Jesus. Do you believe this? That God, through Jesus, has declared you acceptable. That's why this baby came. was So that he could make you acceptable to God. So that you could have a relationship with God. Do you believe this? Which brings us to the next kind of king. So we talk about worship. Let's talk about the king who we are called to worship. And that is the king of kings. This one who came as a little baby. The king of kings we see in the story was motivated by love. Motivated by love. Well, how do we see that in this text? How do we see that Jesus was motivated by love? How do we know that that's what motivated him? I think we know it by what he gave up. Look at verses 13 through 15. This is interesting. You know, after the wise men come, uh, it says an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Think about this. This is God Almighty who knows the future. He came to be this little baby knowing that this was going to happen, that there was going to be Through the course of his life, a lot of people who wanted to kill him. Beginning when he was an infant, the most powerful person in the land of Israel, King Herod, said, I want to kill that baby. And Jesus knew that was going to happen, and yet he still chose to come here. He gave up his place in heaven to come and be a fragile human being that could have been killed by the sword, like all those other little babies, because he loved us. Love led him to come. Verses 16 through 18, you see that others seek to kill, uh, Herod seeks to kill him. Flipping your Bibles over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is Paul reflecting on Jesus coming to earth. And again, we know that Jesus was motivated by love here in this story. Because of what this says in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5, it says this. Have have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 6, it's talking about Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Love led Jesus to come, knowing that he would die one day in our place. The king of kings comes into this world because he loves us. The other thing we kind of see uh, here in this story uh, is that love leads him to shepherd. That's the other reason he came. Uh, Look at verses, if we go back to Matthew chapter 2, 
Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6. This is that prophecy from Micah chapter 5. And you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Love led Jesus to come to be our shepherd. In John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the kind of shepherd that God sent for us. The King of Kings. Jesus is his name. And he was motivated by love. Love for you and love for me to come to earth. Going back to Philippians 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the King of kings. And he was motivated by love for you and love for me. But I want to ask this question again. What causes love? What causes Jesus' love for us? Why did he do this? I mean, you might say, okay, fine, he did it. But why did he do this? John 3.16 was read earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why did he do this? Why did he love us? Because he wanted to save us. What did we do to earn this? This is an interesting question. Look, uh, Flipping your Bibles over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 talks a lot about the love of God. Uh, 3 and 4. So 1 John 3, verse 1, it says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. See, God says, I have love for you like an adoptive parent. I've called you my own children, even though you're not my children. You are children of unrighteousness, yet I have adopted you and given you a new name through Jesus Christ. That's the kind of love. He says, I've adopted you to be my children, to save you. First John chapter 4, uh, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So don't miss this. When we ask, why did God love us? Why did God choose to love us? Don't miss this. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you could ever earn it. He loved us not because we loved him, but because he first loved us. He loved us because he wanted to rescue us. John 3.16 again, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what we call grace. It's a gift from God. You know, here at Christmas time, I spent all my afternoon yesterday going out and trying to buy a gift for somebody. It took me all day. We give gifts at Christmas time. And that's a representation of this greatest gift that God has given us. It's his son, Jesus Christ. Forgiveness through Jesus is not something we earned or deserve. God gave it to us simply because he loves us. And all we have to do to receive that gift is trust him. 
Trust means to believe. That means to stop leaning on yourself or stop leaning on your parents or stop leaning on the pastor, whatever it might be. Lean on Jesus. Depend on him alone. He's the only one who can save you. He has come to rescue us from our sins. So the question is, do you believe this? If you've never believed that or ever told God that you believe that, do it now. I would invite you, tell Jesus, I trust that you alone are the one who can save me from my sins. I can't do it myself. Trust him and accept him as your king. But if you've already done it, if you've already believed, then my encouragement would be to you, worship the king. Worship the king, just like the Magi do in this story. If you already believe, then worship the king. You know, this story in Matthew chapter 2 is, like I said, a tale of three kinds of kings. Three kinds of kings. We have Herod the king, who is motivated by fear. We have the Magi, the wise men, who are motivated by worship. And then we have the king of kings, who is motivated by love. And he asks us to trust him. And as we look at this story, where there are two kinds of people in the story. One kind of people miss the king. In fact, they reject the king. Herod even tries to kill the king. Don't find yourself in that group of people who are rejecting the king. Don't miss the king. Let him come into your life. You know, the wise men began the story on a journey. They began the story on a journey following a star. They didn't know where it was going to end. They didn't know how it was going to end, but they went so they could worship him. They went on a journey that ended in worship. And the story of the Magi reminds us that we are all on a journey, a journey through life. And for those of us who know Jesus, if you've trusted him, our journey will end with us worshiping him forever and ever. Revelation chapter 7 is just a good reminder of this. Revelation 7 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, one day, if you know Jesus, you're going to be standing there before the throne, worshiping the king, along with those magi from another tribe and tongue and language, worshiping him for all eternity. That's where our journey will end. And that'd be my prayer for you, that if you know people who are not on that trajectory, who are not heading to that destination, invite them. Tell them about this newborn king. Invite them to our Christmas Eve service. They'll hear about it there. We're on a journey that will end in worship. You know, while we're on our journey, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of things that could cause us to fear. But God says, worship the king. Keep your eyes focused on the king and bring him the gifts that are fitting for a king. I want to close in prayer, and I'd just like to ask you to, to stand together. Uh, so if you will, please stand up. And I'm going to read a benediction from the book of Jude, and we'll close our time of worship with this today. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, 
To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed. Merry Christmas. We'll see you back here on Christmas Eve.